Okay. Yeah, we're ready. So, call the meeting to, I'm calling the meeting to order as I've been informed. I'm, uh, okay, so I'm calling the meeting to order just as a pro forma sort of thing. And the next item is um, elect a uh, chair pro tem uh, Okay, so this would be, just to be clear, this would be to elect a temporary chair for this meeting, correct? Correct. Correct. Yes. That's what item two is. So do we have a discussion? Well, I'd like to simplify things and make a nomination. Yes. I nominate you. Okay, you as a, we all know you. <laughs> okay. No, I, I nominate kind of Pat O'Brien oh, okay. to be the um, uh, chair pro tem and would welcome a second. And is there a second? Oh, you were on. Good. Okay, I second. Second. And any uh, discussion? Okay, then I call for the vote. All in favor? Aye. 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 Well, all aye, so it's uh, motion second unanimous. And uh, I've... Uh, Thank you very much. I'm <laughs> pleased to uh, chair this particular meeting. Um, and the uh, item number three is the election of officers. So this is uh, an action item, and it would be to elect the chair and vice chair. Uh, currently, the, the chair has uh, resigned from this, this position and um, there is a vice chair uh, who's not here today, Jonathan. And um, so let's, uh, my, my, uh, my thoughts is that the vice chair uh, who's served in that position should move to chair. Uh, he's not here to comment, but I assume uh, that he would be willing because he served as vice chair. So that's just out of, you know, respect, I would submit um, uh, that name as uh, chair. And then we, so any, is there a discussion on that? Well, I think that's a very well-reasoned uh, suggestion and I would support it. Uh, I, I would, in the interest of time, suggest we do a full slate, so maybe we have a sure. bus on the vice chair, and so that way we could take both items as a single action. Okay, I think that's appropriate. So let's have a discussion of uh, a potential vice chair person. Yes. Oh, I, I, I'd uh, love to do it. Okay. But so if you'd like to do it, I would cede my place to you. No, I'm very happy to have Michael as the vice chair myself. I would support that. 
So any further discussion? So we have a, a slate then. And uh, so Jonathan uh, as, as chair and Michael as vice chair, is there any uh, further discussion? Okay, then I call for the vote. All in favor? Aye. Okay. Opposed? Uh, so it's uh, unanimous. Motion, second, unanimous. And just to be clear, it's um, Jonathan and Kathleen as chair and yes. Michael Diet as vice chair, correct? Correct. Okay. Thank you. Okay. And uh, we'll go to item number four. All welcoming you as a Okay, so uh, this this item's welcome welcoming our new committee members, and so I just wanted to give a brief opportunity for uh, Andrew and Pamela just to introduce yourself and maybe just say a few words about what brings you here and 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 yeah, your background, your interest. Okay, well, my name's Pamela Tom. I've lived in Marin County for 11 years now, and I was really interested in the Measure A Oversight Committee um, because I think parks and open space is just part of what makes Marin County so special, and I think it's really wonderful that the, the residents and voters here supported it, and I just wanted to be a part of making sure that we're doing what, what needs to be done with the funds. And my name is Andrew Ward. I'm also a resident of Marin County. I live in Novato, technically unincorporated Novato, as I learned recently in the last few years. Um, I've lived in or around Marin most of my life, grew up here. Um, I'm a frequenter of Stafford Lake and many of our wonderful outdoor spaces. So um, as I've shared, um, our open space, our outdoor space, as we know, is uh, is a treasure, and for me, it's a critical part of my well-being, my personal and family well-being. So my kids love all the work that's happened at Stafford Lake. Um, I'm a local nonprofit executive here in Marin as well, and um, uh, you know the, the the nonprofit community is really grateful for the way that we care for our land. Thank you, thank you, and welcome both Andrew and Pamela. Uh, Great remarks and great backgrounds they're bringing to us here. Uh, next item, and do we have any public comments? Okay. Next item is approval minutes of February 9th. Is there a motion to approve or any comments? I move yep. to approve the, meet, the minutes from February 9th. He seconded, although for the record, I will say I wasn't here. Okay. It's besides uh, Pat, I don't think anybody here was here. Pardon me? <laughs> I was saying, besides you, I don't think anybody. Yeah, was there. but I recall it distinctly. So I watched, I watched it. <laughs> Perfect. Um, so the motion has been made by Pamela and the second by Michael. Uh, any comments? Uh, all those in favor? Aye. Motion second unanimous. Okay. Now we move to the public comment session and section, I should say. And uh, any public members wish to comment either here or uh, online? 
Okay, it doesn't appear that there is any public comments, so we'll close that item and we'll go move to item number seven, which is director's report. Thanks committee members, uh, Max Corton, director of Marin County Park. Just as notice, we don't have an online component to this meeting, so there's not there's not okay. Um, so I'll keep this real brief because usually I give an update about all the different kinds of projects we're doing, and today we're going to get that from our awesome team members. So you're going to hear all about really cool stuff going on. <clears throat> I did want to give your committee an update about a couple, you know, actually pretty big, exciting projects that are um, uh, sort of moving forward in the planning process. Our Bolinas Lagoon North End uh, Sea Level Rise Adaptation Project. Uh, recently, the CEQA document was approved by the Board of Supervisors, and so that project, we're in the process of getting permits for that project, but we're expecting it to start in the next few months. And so the initial phase of that is removing invasive species. The, the project itself is um, taking, over, taking out the crossover road uh, going to Bolinas off of Highway 1 and restoring that area. And then the uh, the Olima-Bolinas Road that, that heads towards Bolinas from Highway 1, that'll be uh, put up on a bridge, essentially, to allow the creek to flow underneath. And it allows for sea level rise adaptation, for restoration of that creek and the marsh area. Um, and so the first step is taking out some of the invasives that could otherwise sort of proliferate once the soil's disturbed. Uh, the next step is over the next two years, there'll be some major sort of construction, removing the crossover road and building the, um, the new alignment of Alima Bolinas Road and the bridge there. Uh, and the really exciting thing with that project is it's, uh, it's uh, mostly funded by outside grants, federal and state grants. So we just brought $7 million worth of grants that were approved by the Board of Supervisors for that project uh, in the last week or two. Um, and uh, and then the other thing I want to mention is that our we also have a project to uh, add some uh, trail bridges in the Cascade Canyon Preserve, and uh, that's been like seven years in the planning for that. We just released our response to comments on the CEQA document for that project, and it's going to the board for approval on uh, November 28th. And so those are my updates. Um, I do have a question uh, on the grants. Uh, can, do you recall uh, kind of how many grants or what the sources of the grants are? Yeah, so they are, there's, they're both state and federal grants. So I think the state sources, we've gotten money, I think, from the Coastal Conservancy and the Wildlife Conservation Board. And then um, the federal grants are NOAA, uh, is you know the source uh, you know connected with National Marine uh, Fisheries the the you know the sanctuary has been a, a partner Gulf of the Farallones sanctuary is right there too so they've been a partner in that project as well. Great, and uh, a federal representative uh, in the, in the sanctuary uh, I, I know they were very supportive too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's. That, I, I, I assume that helped on a NOAA grant. <laughs> yeah. Yes. And it's you know that site it's adjacent to the national park as right. well, and so there really is a, um, you know it's a really it's a really cool special important place and a place with a you know there's a lot of partnership in terms of um, 
improving the the uh, the ecosystem there, but also the transportation system. You know, it's the new aligned road will be better in terms of having access during storms. You no, know, I appreciate all the uh, uh, work staff's done, and I, I recalled some of the presentations leading up to it. So it, it's, um, I think, it's quite a ambitious but wonderful project that's being done for environmental improvement and actually traffic improvement too. So any other any comments here, Michael? Did you want to talk first? Just wanted to say congratulations on acquiring the grants to complete it. That's wonderful. Just two quick questions on the uh, Cascade Canyon Trail project. Is that uh, mostly Measure A or additional funding and what the timing? So the, the actual implementation, if it's approved by the Board of Supervisors or the Board of Directors of the Open Space District, um, it wouldn't be implemented until the next fiscal year. So we don't even have a budget allocated for the implementation of it at this point. Yeah, but it you know, likely would be Measure A funding or open space funding. Yeah. Any other comments? Okay, well, this is a great informational item and uh, appreciate it. And we will move to item number eight now, which is the update on the department's work on completed Measure A uh, projects in the fiscal year 22-23. And this also is an information item. Well, thank you very much, uh, committee members. And um, this is one of my favorite uh, uh, items, presentations that we get to give is we get to give your committee an update on all the things we've accomplished over the last year. And um, in the past, that's been kind of like a laundry list of like everything we're doing. And this year we decided to do it a little differently, although I realize many of you, this is your first time hearing this, so um, you'll miss the laundry list version. But this time we wanted to kind of take a deeper dive into a few of our focus areas, uh, into some of our... Um, you know, planning work around new park facilities and uh, into some of our vegetation management efforts and into our trail work and specifically with David who leads our trail team. So getting a little different perspective than you might otherwise. Um, and so I want to turn it over to Jacob here, but also just recognize how awesome this team is and how great Jacob is coming in and uh, jumping straight into a whole bunch of really cool, really important projects and um, our, our projects team not only uh, leads our projects, but is a resource to our entire operations team in terms of helping them out and helping them navigate challenges. So uh, I'll turn it over to you. Thanks, Max. Hello, committee members. Uh, it's Jacob Millard. Um, I'm a senior landscape architect with a project and designs team. And as Max mentioned, there is a laundry list. I'll mention a few, and we'll get into... Um, more depth into a couple exciting new projects going on. Um, over the past year, we've installed a lot of um, accessible drinking fountains and um, new trash receptacles across a bunch of parks, um, facilities. We've got new wayfinding signage elements um, along the Sausalito Mill Valley pathway and with more to come on that. Um, a lot of infrastructure efforts, um, electrical upgrades at Stafford Lake Park 
and um, McNear's Beach and Miller's Boat Launch. Um, those are long planning efforts with PG&E, um, but are very much underway. Uh, installation of, um, as you may have heard, there's some uh, broken water line now at Stafford Lake, and so there's been a big effort to get temporary water supplies in place, and then a longer term, hopefully fairly quick effort to get um, a new potable drinking uh, line to the park. Um, there's some uh, reno uh, playground renovations going on at Stinson Beach at the Village Green Playground. Um, a new boardwalk and pedestrian bridge at Hal Brown Park is towards the end of design and um, construction next year, hopefully. Um, and then the two that I'm going to focus on in more in depth here today are a new accessible trail at Stafford Lake Park and pickleball courts at McGinnis. So Stafford Lake Park access trail is the first one I'll uh, dig into here. Um, as you probably all are very well familiar, uh, Stafford Lake Park is a 139-acre park along the shores of Stafford Lake. Um, and park users uh, sir, has been surveyed and identified that walking is a top um, park activity. However, currently there's a lack of pedestrian um, connection between recreation areas. This is a blow up of the air of the, the not the entirety of the park, but of the portion of the project that we're working on. Um, visitors are often forced to walk um, and utilize the park roads to walk between facilities. And not surprisingly, one of the main draws to the park is the lake itself. But unfortunately, the large fields that are there are not accessible to many with mobility issues. Um, just to orient you with this graphic we're looking at right now, to the, the west of the park, there are those the group, very popular group, picnic areas, recreation fields, and just off to the left out of view there is the bike park facility. Um, to the east, we've got the playgrounds and more picnic areas, all very well used. Um, but now we're working on a path to connect um, people to the park and the facilities in a more comprehensive way. Currently, these this slide kind of shows the pedestrian paths that connect the parking lots to those facilities. You can see they're disconnected from each other. They're very localized. The one on the um, to the east does connect to um, to the Novato multi-use path that goes down Novato, Novato Boulevard. So this plan is the proposed pathway plan. Um, those orange are the orange lines are the existing pathways. Um, you can see the road there on top. And the yellow dash lines are the new pathways that are being proposed. Um, it's approximately 3,000 linear feet of new pathway. And it will link the major park elements of picnic areas, playgrounds, um, and the recreation fields, but also provide new opportunities for accessing uh, the shoreline, the views to the lake, across the lake, and couple detail slides here this is in um, it'll be six feet wide of made of concrete with a DG shoulder um, it, there will be a new bridge um, over a ephemeral stream crossing and new seating uh, opportunities along the pathway and we're currently finalizing um, our costs and construction documents 
uh, with the hope that uh, implementation starts in 2024. So the second project I'd like to talk about is also very exciting and um, one that responds directly to, um, yes. Could we ask a question about the first project uh, before you go to the second one? Yes. Well, will it just be um, pedestrian only and uh, access for people with disabilities or is it a multi-purpose path? I think, I believe it's multi-purpose. I will, it, there's no vehicle, light vehicle only for maintenance. Um, uh, the rules, bikes. Of, the rules of, I would imagine bikes, yes, as well. There is bike park on, you know, within there, the, you know, as you know, multi-use may include other mobilities too, so. Uh, but definitely it's accessible. It will be, you know, compliant with wheelchair um, slope requirements and all that. So it'll be very, it's a very flat site. So sure. a lot of different users can ultimately use that. Thank you. Um, so the pickleball courts, Pickleball is, um, as you may be aware, is one of the fastest growing sports in the U.S. Um, especially with, with older populations, but um, it is not limited to an age group. Um, there was an estimated uh, just under 37 million pickleball players in the U.S. Um, in 2022 during, you know, when the survey was taken. Um, it's definitely growing um, very fast. Um, you may see a lot of pickleball across all courts in Marin. Um, I certainly do. Uh, there has been a corresponding increase of competition for court space between tennis, the existing tennis courts, and new pickleball, new courts striped for pickleball. Um, two of the court, the four courts at McGinnis Park have been striped currently for pickleball. Um, the game's easy to use, it's low impact, it's great fun, it's very social. This is a picture from last Saturday up there. It's very well used, very crowded. Um, and it's no surprise that we've received a lot of uh, public requests to provide dedicated pickleball spaces. So in response, um, Parks has initiated a design process to explore the potential expansion and inclusion of dedicated pickleball courts at McInnes. Um, which has been identified as an ideal location due to the existing infrastructure and the available unprogrammed space adjacent to the existing tennis courts. Um, so we have engaged a uh, local Bay Area landscape architecture firm, uh, Gates & Associates, with demonstrated experience designing um, pickleball courts in other communities. Um, and they've been selected to provide design services with this effort. The first phase of work has begun um, of it, with the, an assessment of it, the existing conditions and identifying um, opportunities. But um, we look forward to that moving forward in the next year through the planning process. So those are the two we wanted to show and share. There are further questions? I have a question. I'm just not that clear. So I know there are, there are tennis courts that McGinnis, which have been what one or two converted over to pickleball, pickleball. I'm sorry, and with the uh, there's going to be an addition of how many more pickleball courts? We that's to be determined. So the okay, study we're still is still study. Right. Yeah. So and then tennis. I mean, people are still playing tennis. So 
that's in a consideration too to continue to provide attendance. Correct, correct. And again, that's all in study. There's right now there's uh, four courts, tennis courts, two of which are overstriped for pickleball. So that correct. that you can actually see on the slide, I believe, um, there are four. There's two pickleball courts per tennis court. And there's is there a footprint? up there is it anticipated that there may be an expansion with more courts then correct yeah than there's there's a more flat than the current available square correct. footage that's one of the options okay. that can be studied correct yeah you know if you go if you're you're familiar with that park so yeah. between the tennis courts and the skate park there's like a big gravel area that we used to just have sort of staging for piles of wood chips and stuff like that so that seems like an ideal place. In fact, it was a place that uh, in the early 90s or something we were thinking about, I guess the parks was thinking about putting a, like a roller hockey uh, court, I don't know, <laughs> place in. And so uh, it's a pretty level area and it'll be a good spot for uh, pickleball courts. Yeah, on, you can see it on the screen, um, the area, the project area that's being studied right now, that dashed outline is more or less a flat area. There is some grade change, but that is the, the area of opportunity to look at additional courts and parking and seating and um, all the elements that go along with court design. Further questions? I have two questions. Um, regarding the pickleball courts, I know it's really popular. Has there been any public opposition? And my second question is on the first project, the access trail. I was just curious as to why um, concrete was chosen over DG over the entire trail. Was it more cost effective? Like usually it's the reverse, right? Yeah, I, the, I guess I'll take the second one first. Um, the concrete has been selected as the most firm and stable and long-term, um, you know, uh, resilient to, uh, to differential settlement and long-term maintenance issues as it relates to accessibility. So um, DG, the, you know, the, the lake does um, fluctuate, and we've seen it recently with elevations. This is all built above the anticipated um, full bank, you know, full reservoir. So there is some, um, though, um, uh, armament on the downhill slope of that. Um, so that the concrete does turn down and provide even more more protection for potential impacts by the lake itself. Um, DG is a very soft material. It is included in the in the design as a shoulder for an alternative uh, walking and, and a usable surface. Um, but that would that's the reason right now that that concrete is. It's and it's not like throughout that park, there's sort of different zones, like within the sort of more developed part of the park where the picnic areas are. That's sort of where we're looking at having concrete paths to create ADA accessible access. You know, to make it ADA accessible, it has, we have to be able to maintain it as accessible and it can't have what more than like a quarter inch uh, right, right, half inch with, I mean, technical little details. But yes, you can't, you can't have a change of elevation in it right. across the length of it, right? So it, it's, it has to be pretty stable and firm uh, for especially in those developed areas. Once we get into the more undeveloped areas of the park, like if you're there, you know, and you go up to the bike park or over by the disc golf course at Stafford Lake, 
those areas would not have, uh, they, they would have like earth or DG or some kind of natural surface because they're not part of that sort of more developed uh, environment. But the concrete is, is more expensive, correct? Yes, oh yeah, for sure. And you had a second question, I'm sorry. Can sure, you with the pickleball, it? I was just curious as to whether there was any public opposition. I mean, most people want to see more pickleball courts, but certainly, I'm just wondering, locally, what has been the pushback? I have not, I've heard mostly, um, or been aware of most requests and not any resistance, but you guys may have heard. Other. I mean, you know, at this location, we haven't heard any resistance to that idea. Um, you know, there's certainly, I've heard of other parks where the sound of the, just the pickleball getting hit uh, is like annoying to neighbors who live really close by, but fortunately at McGinnis, there's, the neighborhood is far enough away that I don't think that would be an issue. So it, it's been more in sort of places that are right in a neighborhood. Any other questions? Going back to the Stafford project, um, does, does the pathway go all the way out to the bike path and close to the um, Frisbee Golf? Uh, so it's part of a network of, of pathways. This, the, what uh, Jacob was talking about and showing is sort of within the park, within sort of the more developed parts of the park, the picnic area is connecting those. It basically, you do, you can kind of connect to the bike path that goes back to Novato from the upper picnic areas, and and this does connect sort of to the bike park as well. But yeah, to the the parking lot that's right next to the bike park. So effectively, you are connecting. My comment, I I, I think it's going to be a wonderful addition. I hope that um, bikes are allowed on it, and I find this park to be a great place for kids to learn how to ride a bike. Yes. Not have to do that in the parking lot and on a on a on a path next to the water is going to be a lovely thing for families. That's so true. I think that's that's totally the vision behind this. I mean, I my kid learned how to ride his bike there, and I uh, and it was that same thing. He wanted to go play at the playground, and the only way to go from the bike park to the playground is riding on the road, which is you know, not ideal. So. I want to make one more comment. Um, just, you know, you're speaking to my worlds here, Stafford Lake and pickleball. Um, um, <laughs> I, I, you know, pickleball is such a wonderful, uh, wh for whatever reason, the rage, it's bringing people out together. It's inter I've seen it played intergenerationally. Um, and so um, I know that McGinnis is a popular spot for it now, and um, glad that it's going to bring more people out. I will say I went there on Saturday, this Saturday, and it was one of the most used spots in McGinnis on a Saturday morning. And it was very social and I saw exactly what you were describing. Yeah. Thanks, Jake. Okay. There'll be another opportunity for, at the end we'll do like public comment if there's anybody, but also another opportunity to ask questions if you have more questions. So next up we have Nate Clark here who's our, um, our fuels program coordinator, is that? Biodiversity and fuels management coordinator. There you go. And this guy is awesome. So, you know, when we, in the last four or five years, we've really stepped up how much fuels reduction is a part of what we do ever since we've had, you know, several, we had several years of really bad fires in the state. And I think it really reset how important doing fuels reduction work is for the community. The way our preserves are laid out, 
We have 3,500 homes that back up against our preserves. The wildland interurban interface is like, that's what our open space preserves are. And so it's a huge part of what we do. And when we renewed measure A, the community said that's like our top priority and we have a set aside um, that equals about $2.5 million this year um, that has to be used specifically for fuels reduction. Some of that work is planning work that happens, you know, on phone calls and in the office, but a huge part of that work is where the rubber meets the road out in the field, creating the maps to line out the crews, lining out the crews, checking on the crews, making sure that we're both protecting the environment and doing a good job to make communities safer. And uh, Nate and his partner Noah and uh, Jim over there, who's Nate's boss, and Sarah Minnick, I don't think she's here today, but she's, she and Michonne, that's our, our team that, that manages that work, but I'm really excited that you get to hear from Nate to, today, hear more about what that's all about. Awesome, thanks Max. Um, yeah, uh, Nate Clark and help coordinate a lot of what was Max was talking about um, in the field and also in the office and mapping court efforts and um, also correspondence with our partners. Uh, agency partners, fire departments, nonprofits, uh, adjacent landowners, and um, uh, concerned citizens, as well as env environmental stakeholders. So, what is, oh, we're good to go, all right. Uh, so this is a, I just wanted to start with a, a big overview of our preserve system. Um, like Max said, we have about 3,500 neighbors, um, our various preserves, and this is a map that just details um, what we're calling our defensible space. How we define it is 100 feet uh, from habitable structures um, as they overlap onto our land. Um, this is, of course, a very zoomed out map, but um, those tiny, tiny little red splotches, that's everywhere in our preserve system uh, where defensible space touches our land. Um, so you, as you can see, it's, it's pretty much contiguous throughout our entire preserve system. We have a lot, a lot of opportunity for fuels reduction work um, and a lot of opportunity to, to be a good neighbor to various communities. Um, I will say that our fuels reduction uh, program does not only include defensible space. We're also doing a lot of road and trails um, hardening for access and for um, fire personnel, as well as some wide area fuel break opportunities uh, that go beyond 100 feet. So this is just a map of that 100 feet, but if you can imagine other splotches of red coloring in the interior of our preserves. Uh, it's quite a bit of work. Um, this is, uh, as Max was saying, our wildfire fuel reduction budget, which is about two, two and a half million dollars uh, annually. This is how we break it up into roughly one, two, three, four, five different buckets. Um, the biggest bucket is our agreement with the Marin County Fire Department's TAM crew. This is a CAL FIRE unit uh, crew. There's four crews of about 14 personnel each, and we utilize uh, these crews to do a huge amount of our fuels reduction work. They're incredibly efficient. Um, they are a fantastic um, workforce, and it's really just an honor to use them uh, to do a lot of our defensible space work and our uh, fire road pruning as well. And so we, we commit a, a million dollars to that program every year. And we get to use them on all sorts of projects. That's not just defensible space. We get to use them all over our preserve system. 
Um, another $800,000 is dedicated for defensible space work not utilizing the TAM crew. This will be co private contractors. Uh, our work with uh, the Conservation Corps, uh, as well as our work with Marin County Fire's uh, Fire Foundry Program, which is similar to a Conservation Corps, but housed within the Fire Department. Um, the next pot of money is uh, roads and trails specific for fire fuel reduction. That's um, a separate budget from our, our roads and trails uh, surfacing and, and management budget. And that's just for reducing fires and fuels um, along our road and trail system. Uh, then we also have a what we call a hazard tree budget. This is a budget that's dedicated for mostly individual uh, requests from the community of dangerous trees, either along fence lines, directly off of property, small caches of fuel, uh, large leaner trees, sometimes over our roads and trail systems as well. Um, so we have a, a separate pot of money dedicated just for, for that, that type of work, which does happen quite a bit, especially now in the wintertime uh, once trees start coming down. And then of course, uh, our last pot of money is our grazing budget that we use uh, for our goat grazing um, operations uh, in and around some of our communities. So I'll touch on some of the projects that we do on within each one of these buckets. Uh, the first project I wanted to cover um, is our partnership with the Marin Wildfire Prevention Authority. Um, and this is their Greater Ross Valley Shaded Fuel Break. Uh, this fuel break is about 38 miles long. Uh, it starts all the way up at Terra Linda. It goes through Ross Valley um, around communities in San Rafael, San Anselmo. Um, Corte Madera, Larkspur, and ends all the way at the tip, the northern tip of Ring Mountain. Uh, it's a huge effort. Um, it is a lot, a lot, a lot of um, mileage and a lot of uh, parcels. We account for, this project is, is on about 16% of it is on our land, um, which is a large amount. And so what we have done is kind of partnered with them and taken those portions and address them ourselves, a lot of those portions and address them ourselves. And it amounts to about over 300 acres of defensible space to consider. Um, here's just some photos um, that I've taken over the past few years of this project. Um, we, we utilize um, the Marin County Fire Department's TAM crew for a lot of this work, um, but we also are utilizing private contractors. Um, we're partnering with the Marin Wildfire Prevention Authority um, and their use of contract crews as well um, to do mostly brushing removal, uh, removal of dead and down. We, our standard prescription is usually limbing up trees and, and native vegetation to about six to ten feet, depending um, on the size of the tree, as well as removal of any invasive woody plants, um, like certain pine species, uh, invasive French broom and acacia, uh, eucalyptus if, if there's an opportunity to do that as well. Uh, and then anything, any wood that's dead or downed uh, within the first 100 feet from a structure, and then sometimes we have opportunities to go farther uh, if access and funds allow. Um, so that's Ross Valley. Um, we also utilize the Marin County Fire Department's uh, foundry crew that I was talking about before to specifically target some pockets of invasive species um, in Baltimore Canyon and also uh, in Nevada or in other spots as well. Did it in Nevada, and I'll get to that in a second as well. MWPA also ha um, started this year the Greater Novato Shaded Fuel Break. Um, they are very fond of the term shaded fuel break, and so it can be hard to differentiate between these projects. Um, 
This one actually outdid the greater Ross Valley. This Novato one is uh, longer. I think it's to the tune of 60 miles around the community of Novato. Um, and uh, you can kind of see what we affectionately call the snake, that long end of defensible space work weaving in and out of our preserves and around communities. Uh, and so just like Ross Valley, uh, we've stepped in and partnered with MWPA to take some of the portions that are on our land um, and to address them using Measure A funds. Um, here's more pictures of uh, the TAM crew working. This is um, up in uh, the Ignacio Valley, um, kind of by the golf course in there. They were working on a very steep slope, um, removing vegetation and trimming it up and making it more fire safe. Uh, but we also had the fire foundry crew um, out in uh, Pacheco Valley pulling broom, um, getting rid of it, and also working on their uh, saw and tree felling techniques for dead trees and invasive trees as well. Uh, the picture on the right uh, that looks like it's in a ballroom uh, is because it is in a ballroom at the uh, San Geronimo Golf Course, which the Marin County Fire Department is using currently. Um, and I just wanted to highlight that um, all of our crews, uh, especially the TAM crew, just very cognizant of our environmental uh, priorities and our natural resources. Um, this is uh, Sarah Laberton of Novato Fire giving a environmental training prior to start of work uh, to address environmental issue, compliance issues, uh, nesting birds, bats, roosting, rare plants, uh, cultural and sensitive artifact possibilities. Um, they're very, all the crews are very much in tune to the fact that we're in natural landscapes and we're seeking to preserve these natural landscapes. Uh, and so I just wanted to highlight that they do a fantastic job. We've also been up on San Geronimo Ridge uh, last year and also again this year. This is a part of our Forest Health um, grant. Uh, we have received a grant and we're working on it with um, One TAM. It came through the Parks Conservancy. And we're also partnering a little bit with uh, Marin Water, who is the adjacent uh, landholder just to the south of this of us. Um, it's a fairly long uh, stretch of ridge top. It follows our San Geronimo Ridge Fire Road, uh, and it also spills over a little bit onto our White Hill uh, Fire Road as well. Um, the main prescription for this project um, was to uh, thin out a lot of the mature Douglas fir stands that have a lot of dead understory, um, and also to prevent those stands from encroaching into some of our really uh, precious, unique uh, ecotones like serpentine chaparral and native grasslands as well. Um, this has been a pretty large effort and we've been using um, TAM crew and also uh, a contractor called Hanford ARC to work on that, on those funds as well. Um, just wanted to share a little bit of a before and after photo of some of that work. You can see um, to the left there is, um, that's sort of the pre-state and you can see that there's quite a few. Um, it's not a terribly large picture but um, there's a lot of small diameter Douglas fir in there that's kind of encroaching into what once was a native oak community, um, shading some of that out. And you can actually see in the foreground too, there's some dead, unfortunately dead manzanita that was um, smothered out by the quickly growing Douglas fir um, overstory. And we'll say that Douglas fir is a native, uh, it's a native plant, um, but because of the lack of fires on our landscape, it, it's growing in a way that's not considered historically natural, and so we have to go in there and do a little bit of manual removal to emulate a fire moving through. And that's kind of what the picture on the right shows. You can see some of these really cool hybrid oaks popping up, um, finally able to breed and get sunlight once we've removed um, 
the, the dense uh, vegetation around them. And that's kind of what we're looking for along this ridge line is a, a ban within our ecosystems uh, that's defensible and safe and also represents more of a functioning uh, healthy. Uh, moving on to uh, Bucks Landing, our Bucks Landing Park. Um, I just wanted to highlight some of the great work that we were able to do there this year. Uh, we start, started this uh, in March, and we were able to actually just finish it a couple months ago. This is with a, a contract crew called Sonoma Marin Arborists. Um, this is a similar prescription to what um, we were, we've been doing in defensible space, uh, mainly targeting a lot of dead trees. Unfortunately, in this pocket of, our pres of Marin County, um, over on North San Pedro Road. Uh, there's been a lot of um, native hardwood die-off, um, dead oaks, dead madrones, dying bay trees, uh, myriad of reasons, pathogens, drought. Um, but the end state of some of these forests is, is a pretty sorry, uh, pretty sorry condition, as well as a lot of invasive broom in the understory that had since grown to maturity and then died off and become really hazardous kindling. Um, so we partnered with the contract crew to go in there, and they did a fantastic job of removing a lot of the ladder fuels um, in the understory, as well as addressing a lot of the dead trees that were either standing dead or had come down uh, in recent years. Uh, I also just wanted to highlight some of our uh, fire road maintenance. Um, this year we had the opportunity to address um, French Ranch Fire Road up in our French Ranch Preserve. I will say that um, we have an uh, uh, operation ranger team that goes around and does really fantastic work maintaining uh, the trail and the road corridor every year. Um, but what we did with the TAM crew is we decided to go a little bit farther to harden up some of these key defensible ridgetop fire roads. French Ranch was one of them. Uh, and it was a really, it was a great effort uh, with the fire crew to go up there. And we did about 30 feet on either side of the road, just addressing dead and downed wood, uh, limbing up native species, and thinning out our Douglas fir once again. I would be remiss if I didn't mention our annual grazing efforts. Um, we Every year we contract with a uh, grazing company, Star Creek, that comes out and delivers uh, two full herds of goats um, in and around our Terralinda Preserve, out around the Terralinda community, and so we do quite extensive targeted grazing out there every year. Uh, it's very popular with the uh, the community and the public. Um, it's a very efficient way to reduce a lot of very flashy fuels, uh, grasses and, and forbs and, th and things like that. Um, <clears throat> and it's just kind of fun to live on a farm in that community, to feel like you're living on a farm for a little bit. Um, we've been working with them now for a number of years and, and they do really, really great and important work. Uh, and the last thing I wanted to mention, too, uh, we, we do quite a bit of just targeted invasive vegetation removal. Um, the, probably the biggest one is we do, we organize with contract crews, big French broom poles. Um, French broom is a non-native shrub from the Mediterranean that uh, just chokes out the understory, uh, really decreases biodiversity, and also just puts a ton of fuel um, on the landscape. And so it's a pretty high priority for us uh, when and where we can get to it. This is out in Indian Valley Preserve in Novato. Um, this is earlier in the spring of this year, and we <clears throat> contracted a crew to pull somewhere to the tune of eight acres uh, of thick, dense broom stands. Um, part of that work is uh, to reduce the ladder fields, and a lot of it, too, is access. We can't get a crew like the TAM crew in there uh, to do the regular work that they do if there's so much French broom kind of standing and choking their way. And so oftentimes we have to do sort of 
project uh, where we get all the French broom on the, on the ground and then we come through and we are able to do our regular limbing and dead wooding uh, process. So very quick overview of our work, uh, but I also just wanted to thank all of our great partners, our fire agencies that we worked with, Marin Wildfire Prevention Authority, uh, contractors, private vendors, and many, many more members of the, the public and environmental stakeholders. Thank you. Uh, any questions? Uh, I'll start with Michael. Uh, just a quick one, back to the Greater Novato Shaded Fuel Break Ordinance. Could you just explain the uh, three legend items under the first orange shaded fuel break? Absolutely. Um, some of this is, a lot of this is, is just my own internal calculations, but um, there's the orange shaded fuel break. That's a layer that was given to us uh, by Novato Fire. Um, the rest of it is um, various designations that's uh, just on our property uh, to help run our calculations. Um, so the blue band is um, where, the, where the shaded fuel break lands on our property. The green band is um, that same band on our property, but just the sections that are 100 feet away from structures. And that helps calculate for us priorities uh, as well as acreages for certain projects and stuff like that. Um, and then the, there is a red section, uh, which is called the UTDS. And I think that is highlighted areas where um, the Novato Fire wanted to go a little bit farther, wanted to do something a little bit different in part of their planning process, and so I was able to kind of separate that out and designate that in case some of those areas were maybe going to be considered optional or auxiliary. What does UTDS mean? I don't know. That was their phrase. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I designated that for conversations with them. Well, I just wanted to say I'm very impressed by all these ongoing projects. I think when you live in Marin County, especially in some of the more wooded areas, fire safety is such a priority. And I'm just curious, um, I was looking at your pie chart, and are you finding that the allocations seem to be about right and are accurate? Is, uh, is there anything you would change in the areas that need more or less? Certainly, yeah. That's an ongoing discussion. Um, some of these funds are, are a little bit harder to move around than others. Uh, the one million that we have designated to the TAM crew is, is a little bit more of a firm number. Uh, the rest of them are based on previous years and how much we've needed and how much we've projected. Um, every year is different. It's hard to get a sense of what we absolutely need every single year. But we found that this year it's been about right um, in terms of allocation. Uh, and there is some flexibility as well to pull from different pots and stuff. And just the last question I had on the um, hazardous tree pie slice. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that um, these are by individual request. And, I'm, and you said it seems to be popular, especially this time of year. But is that program promoted somewhere? Or how do people find out about it? It is, yeah. Um, we send a flyer out, uh, a mailer flyer out every what, May or June, somewhere in there, um, that gives our contact information, how to get a hold of us, um, and just promotes the general um, maintenance of people's defensible space. Uh, to be clear, we're really wanting people to work on defensible space on their property, uh, and then we can help them kind of finish out that last. It's usually not a full 100 feet on our property. It's, you know, 70 on theirs and 30 on, on ours. And so, uh, but we do send a mailer to everybody that we, all properties that we touch that promotes that and 
gives them pathways to get connected to us, which usually means getting connected to me. Thank you. Uh, just a great presentation, and uh, Thank you. Uh, yeah, I was, I'm really impressed with uh, kind of the whole uh, landscape of um, different projects and different categories. Um, and uh, I, d I did have a question about, uh, do you run into some issues sometimes with, say, like a fire department will have different perspective on, mm -hmm. <coughs> um, you know, what should be done to uh, reduce uh, you know, fire hazards, which could impact native plants and everything. Yeah. <laughs> so I know that some of that must take some negotiations. So. Certainly, yeah. Negotiation is a very apt word. Um, right. That's the tension of this work, especially on um, open space preserves. These preserves are set aside for the preservation of natural resources in the land. And so um, we do have natural resource priorities, and those priorities are Correct. first and foremost on our minds. Um, that being said, some of this work does need to be done. Uh, and so finding that balance between our fire partners, our communities, our environmental stakeholders, our own internal priorities uh, is, is definitely a constant tension. And the, the various broom species that are out there, I we know they're very, yeah. very intense and difficult. Even after you clear them, they, you know, they're so prolific, they just pop right up. And, they do. Um, so it's an ongoing problem and issue, but you know, whatever impact you can make on them is yeah. very beneficial. Um, and we're, the weather people are forecasting a big El Nino this year, which means lots of rain, which usually means a great deal of vegetation growth. So uh, I suspect next spring we'll uh, have a lot of uh, growth from uh, some of the, not only native plants, but invasive species. So right. something, obviously I know you're keen on watching, but it's We're, we're it's planning for issue. a big year next year. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Great presentation. One more question. And anything we can do to publicize this work, I think, is very beneficial so the public can understand what's happening with Measure A funds. That is, a, you know, they're getting a significant benefit for a relatively small investment. I think Andrew had a question, too. I'm sorry, Andrew, you meant? No, did oh, you, no. were you going to respond? Or? Oh, no, no. Oh, anything, was that a question? Anything that you guys, that your committee can do to help? Uh, I mean, I think, gosh, the more that you can tell the story of, yeah. of what's going on, connect with your neighbors, your community. I mean, you know, Nate and Noah and our team work with the local fire departments to, and like we said, we sent out a mailer. They go out and, and talk, contact communities when we're doing work, when we're about to do work when we're gonna burn piles, giving people notice so that they don't worry there's a fire in their backyard. Um, so there's a lot of community interface with this kind of work, uh, which is really cool actually, because um, we are literally in people's backyards all the time. Yeah. But, uh, but if there's other ways to get in touch and just spread the word that this work is happening, that's great, because a lot of times you're right. The people are right there to see it, but if you don't, if you don't live right next to the open space, you might miss it. Yeah, I, I and I think we discussed this in the past, but I, I noticed that people, even on the grazing program, everybody becomes very curious because mm. the goats are out. 
but I think few people understand that that's really Vernon County doing that. Talk to neighbors and just, they love the ghosts, but they're oblivious as to, <laughs> you know, why that's even happening. I mean, they understand why it's happening, but, but who's sponsoring it, I should say. So I, I try my best to get the info out there. It's good. I, I think uh, I've noticed that the Marin IJ's done a op-ed or an, ed, an ed, editorial on, uh, you know, the uh, county fire and their great work. But it, it might be good at some point in time to touch base with them to tell them about what county parks and open space is doing. Uh, they, they might, they seem to have quite an interest in it in, in the general subject area. So it's just something, just a thought. But getting, the more we can get the word out, the better it reinforces people's opinion about Measure A. And, you know, someday in the future, we're going to want to talk to them about voting for it again. Just if I may, just to quickly follow up on that, I think, and we discussed this at at the commission meeting, maybe more signage that would say that this fuel reduction is Measure A supported. I didn't see any of the photos that had something, you know, a, a temporary sign or a little uh, A-frame sign. I think you could do something like that that might uh, help get the idea out that this is the result of mm -hmm. a Measure A program uh, that would be helpful. And I did just have one quick follow-up on that hazard reduction. Uh, following up on Pamela, do you have any uncommitted funds or you uh, have a backlog of requests that have to be carried over? I mean, where do you stand in terms of, you said generally, but could you be a little more specific? Are you using it all up or not? That's such a good question. Yes, we're using up all the money. So we have, we have 2.5 million that's sort of allocated this year for specifically fuels reduction. And I'm pretty sure that we are on track to spend all that money, yes. It goes fast. So we, uh, and then in terms of your question of how are we doing on what our goal is, um, and we don't just use our funds on this kind of work too, right? We partner with local fire agencies, sure. the MWPA, working with our one TAM partners. We bring in outside funding to do some of this work as well. But it's been, in the past, it's been such there's so many locations. It's been very disparate. And you can see with these really cool maps that Nate has shared that our team is getting better about sort of visualizing how all that work connects. And one of our goals this year is to actually have a sort of a score for ourselves, a percentage of, you know, our, our base goal, the thing that we want to do is make sure we are maintaining all the defensible space between all those 3,500 neighbors and the preserves and then, you know, along the yeah. excess fire roads. So our our goal is uh, trying to get to 100% where that is, we're, we're maintaining all of that, that space. I don't think we're quite there yet. And this year we're getting, we're hopefully getting to a place where we can sort of score ourselves on it. And then ongoing, we can be able to report to you, to anyone in the community, how are we doing on achieving that, right? What are your specific thoughts on the signage that would acknowledge uh, Measure A partnership? That's a great idea. I know we do have that exact kind of signage for projects. I, you know, I don't know if we're using it on every single time that we're doing a project. So the more we can do it, the better. And I, I'm taking notes, and I think 
Yeah. That's a good but answer. I know when we did that field trip on the canyon, it was a, a, a county parks logo, but it'd be nice to try to integrate the measure A wording itself somehow. I'd encourage you to yeah. think about that. Yes. Because that branding will help um, build that confidence and trust that we're looking for. Yeah, yes, we do have uh, like permanent signs that for projects that were completed with Measure A funding that says, you know, this was completed by Measure A. And we do have temporary signs, but I don't know that every single like fuels project, because those can be so um, sort of transitory in terms of our crews moving through, but it's a great idea to get but those out there. But it's to just yeah. think about it. It's great. I'm taking notes. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Well, to your point, Michael, I think what happens is these, these um, measures get put before the voters, and then it's very familiar. And then after a few months, after everything's over, you just kind of forget about it. And I, I bet if you walk down the street and ask somebody what they know what Measure A is, they won't know. So. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great point. Totally. This is a question for curiosity and learning. I think it was a year, maybe a year and a half ago when we had the fire, I believe it was on Lucas Valley Preserve, mm -hmm. right right there. I'm curious if there was any learnings that were have been applied to the fields prevention work and what the impact on the funding in the budget has been, if, if so. I can respond to it, but I, you might have something more specific. I'll, I'll go and then you maybe you have something to add. That's good. I mean, I, you know, I think for one, I, I think it was actually somebody, not one of our employees, but somebody doing some, uh, mowing that started that fire. So one of the things that's really important for our crews is making sure that we're being fire safe at the same time that we're, we're doing work. Um, you know, I, I think like every time there's an incident, we connect with the local fire agencies to kind of understand what happened, find out, you know, if there's lessons learned that we can take back to our, our work and what we do. Um, you know, that's an interesting area where there's, we both have uh, a small slice of county open space. There's Marinwood uh, CSD has some open space that they manage there. And then, you know, we manage seven uh, county service areas, CSAs. It's actually one of the CSAs that, as Jim well knows, that we don't specifically uh, manage. I, I probably go on about this for a long time. I'm happy to talk about it in more detail another time because it's, it's complicated, but... Um, well, just yes. to clarify my question, my curiosity was more about how the fire spread and if there's any any adjustments in, in how we're trying to prevent in the future. May not have been, might have been a, all could have been predicted. Yeah, certainly. I mean, um, like Max said, it started close to, uh, as part of a maintenance operation, not Marin County Parks. Um, but uh, yeah, as it spread, I think it was actually a pretty good lesson on um, the efficacy of some of our defensible space um, as it kind of moved through and acted as a fire should. The flashy fuels moved fast and then it moved up into some of the, you know, 100 hour and 1,000 hour fuel load bedding. Um, I actually got to go up there uh, while well, I was on the, during, there during the fire and then the day after I was hiking up the ridge with um, our fuels technician, Jacob Martin, mapping the dozer line that they took. Um, and so anytime that there's a change in landscape due to fire, whether it's work that we do or a fire that comes through, uh, it's always a great opportunity for photo documentation. So we were out there taking photos to see how it burned and then what's gonna come back. So I think for us, one of the big lessons with fire, um, that was an untreated landscape. Uh, we did not do any specific 
uh, wired area fuel brake loading in there, mostly because it was spread very fast outside of our defensible space, which is really our target area. Um, we, we just can't treat every acre of our preserves. Um, but a great lesson for us to learn is to, is to look at what is coming back once there is a fire. Um, is it native species? Is it invasive species? Um, is it species that are going to increase the fuel load? Um, so those are some really good lessons learned. So we set up some photo points to do some long-term monitoring, and uh, we'll see what comes. Yeah, and it burned, I mean, it only started in, is like the opposite of what you would want for to test the type of work we do, right? Because it started in sort of the treated area, and then it just went into, you know, basically unmanaged, I mean, open space that hadn't been touched for any reason or another. So it wasn't like it went into a right. place where there had been fuels reduction. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Thank you, Nate. So uh, next up, we have uh, David Frazier, who leads our uh, road and trail crew. And, um, you know, I, like, I think this is really cool because usually John Campo, who's, who's back there as well, does our presentations about our road and trail work because he uh, leads our, our team that plans that work and develops the, the plans. But David leads the team who does the work. And, uh, and, and, David and his team are really awesome. You know, I think around the Bay Area, around, you know, I don't know, the country, there's, you know, building and maintaining trails is really uh, an art and something that's, um, you know, kind of really specific. And our team does some really amazing work. One of the things that I think is really unique about our team is that they're um, really capable of using... Um, equipment, so like little bulldozers and excavators and big bulldozers and big excavators, but, um, uh, and Dave will talk about some of this stuff. Uh, and they do work that's gonna last. So I used to work on a forest service backcountry trail crew and we just used picks and shovels and all we could ever do was sort of put band-aids in things, you know, like clean up the water bars each year or, or try to like keep things the way they are. but. David's crew really like creates sustainable trails that reduce the impact on the environment and make better recreational experience. The other thing they do is they use materials like rock and steel that are going to last for a long time and don't have to go back and and you know be replaced all the time. So anyway, with that, I'll turn it over to David. I'm sure he's going to cover some of this stuff in more detail, but um, I wanted to appreciate him right off the bat. Thank you, Max. Um, I'm David Frazier. Uh, I'd like to tell you kind of more of a story because I think that's what trails truly are. Is they're something like a story when that we're on them. Um, myself, just a little background. I'm from upstate New York. Grew up in the Adirondack State Park, uh, largest state park, living state park in the United States. Um, so I just grew up in the mountains. My parents tell me I was volunteering with the Appalachian Mountain Club since the age of like eight, ten years old, um, which continued on through my life working on trail crews in New Hampshire, Maine. Uh, through my college years, and then which inspired me to continue on and get an environmental science degree, where my capstone project was on the turbidity effects of feeding habits of fish, uh, which was when the universe aligns itself correctly, right? Like my first job here when I took it with Marin County Parks was actually removing perch sediment out in San Geronimo on old logging roads, turning them into trails and keeping that sediment out of our fish-bearing creeks. So it was just kind of like, oh, wow, life works out. Um, for us here, 
at Marin County Parks, and one of the things I always like to think about and tell our crews is we have to be aware of our place. Um, as two of you mentioned, like our open spaces and our preservation of these nature pl natural places is what defines Marin. It's a treasure um, here, and we all feel the same way. Um, for trails, being aware of that place and what it means to the community and to ourselves. Um, Edward Abbey, one of my favorite novelists and environmentalists, would state how that's where humans go to rejuvenate their souls, right? He'd also talk about the effect of humans in nature and that oftentimes nature lost in that battle between humans and, and nature itself. So one of our biggest goals when we're out there is actually to minimize that effect and make sure that humans interact with nature in a more subtle and caring way and we're not simply going out there. One of his other favorite quotes about the trails was how unmitigated they could just become scars on the land. And that's often what we saw here in Roy's over the last few years, the understory was just being trampled because so many people wanted to love it. We were truly loving it to death, right? So we put a huge effort out there at this point now to do an intentional trail plan where we can actually build trails that pay attention to the erosive natures that humans can bring into a space. We will look at the hydrology, the plant species, the animal species that are out there and try to protect them also while taking people to these beautiful places because we're aware that we're changing that land when we come through with our equipment. You know, we're gonna put a path there. But instead of it being a scar on the land, we wanna think of it more as a piece of art. It's something that we can come in and like an artist, you know, we're putting beautiful brush strokes on the landscape and we're contouring that trail so that it will last for generations to come and be enjoyable and take people to those beautiful places that inspire their souls. Here's just a little video that I took. I think I can get this to play. Sorry, technology's not my best part. This is of Roy's. Right there is where a boardwalk's gonna be coming through um, from the entrance, and it'll get onto our forest trail alignment here. On this alignment, the whole point of a trail, as I was saying, is supposed to inspire people. It's supposed to take you on a journey as you go somewhere. And it's that journey that we take through life that re-inspires and invigorates our soul. So the trail was from a trail, and then we do a small little footpath where we have decomposing redwood log uh, stumps there. And then we have to cross this little swale that we're coming in here. And you can see how much materials that we have to put into the ground to make that a sustainable feature. As Max was saying, we use big logs, we use rocks, because we want this to be sustained and last for generations to come. Here's one of those giant logs that we bring in um, with our equipment. Uh, you can get the size of that log based on Jimmy there. We actually call Jimmy Big Mountain. It's his normal name. Um, so he's not a small dude, and you can tell that that log carries some substantial size to it. And then this is the trail tread in that area where we're armoring it. And this all comes in from far off, you know, I think from our staging area, this is a little over half of a mile. So it comes in through a powered wheelbarrow into this area. Harden the ground underneath. And at the end of the day, as you can see in your photos, this area, you can barely tell that any hardening went in under there. So a lot of the times that's our goal is to make all these features, uh, make it sustainable for the future to come. 
But when you're there, we want it to look like it's been there for 100 years already. And you wouldn't know that all these features have been put in underneath. Talking about that, trail work is very romantic, but there's nothing romantic about the work of trail work. It's hard, sweaty work. Um, we're often working with large rocks, concrete, you're in the sun, you got poison oak and ticks. It's one of those jobs that you do because it's in your heart and in your soul and you really love doing it. So that is a picture of one of our bridge foundations that we're building there. Um, we have people from all over the Bay Area that work for us on our trail crew. It fluctuates in size every year depending on the project load that we have. Um, I think typical trail years we have about six to eight folks that we bring on. We have two permanent full staff uh, trail folks and then we hire about six seasonals often to work with us. And they come from East Bay, North Bay, San Francisco, all over the place to work with us. Um, one of the things that we see throughout our preserves is that we've been here as Marin County for 51 years now. So our infrastructure is aging. It's been here um, and not all of it was installed correctly. I've spent a lot, a lot of years replacing bridges. Um, the photo on the left is one of those bridges that were, is in the queue to actually be replaced. It's out at Santa Venetia Marsh. And it's typical of our old uh, infrastructure. We used to use pressure treated lumber for our bridge stringers. Um, they often sat too close to the creek banks because to have a longer bridge is expensive and it takes a lot of work to get those in. Um, and then our foundations of those bridges were often made out of creosote railroad ties that we sat on. Um, so between pressure treat and creosote, going right over natural over creek areas, not your ideal thing. So about 10, 12 years ago, we as a department decided that we'd get rid of all those toxic materials above our, around our creek systems. And we moved to doing concrete abutments. And then we moved away from any pressure treat materials using either redwood or uh, Alaskan yellow cedar glue lambs back in those days. And just this year, which I'm really stoked about, is we moved on to using steel as our superstructure of our bridges. So now our bridges won't just simply last 30 years. One generation, more or less, is about what a bridge lasts. And we're seeing all the, I think I counted up about 45 bridges now that are in their 25 to 35 year range. That, so they're all coming due to be replaced. Um, we moved on to these steel superstructures. So we should be able to last four, five, potentially longer generations that these bridges will be there. Because we realize that Marin, because this is so special to us, we're not going anywhere as Marin County Parks. And these trails should and will be here for generations to come. Um, as Max was saying, we bring in big rocks. Um, and we can use the equipment to do that, uh, which allows us to make these trails last for substantial periods of times. Um, those big rocks you can see we use as our wing walls now instead of using lumber that can rot. Um, we use those rocks on the edging of the trail. And this is a picture of our beautiful trail crew on that first uh, steel structure that they built. Uh, they called it the largest dining room table that they've ever had the pleasure of building. Um, and it's also really inspiring too because the people come from this community and a lot of them grew up around this area enjoying Marin County Parks and so forth. And our crew on staff, you know, when we're building things also like we want them to look beautiful because it's not simply our names and Marin County Parks names, but we're going to bring our families back to these places for generations to come also. 
Um, so I let the crew, we date each one, and sometimes I'll let them put their initials in the foundations of the bridges so they can come back. Um, but because we do live in these places and we know we're coming back to them, it helps them put that extra care and love into each product. Um, so there's a little more craftsmanship that can go into those things uh, since we're an internal agency and not a contractor that comes in and builds these uh, features for the county. Um, so with that, you know, we can build intentionally because we, we have awareness of ourselves and our community and with that intention for preservation along the way, we can take care of the littlest of creatures that might pop out in front of us. So that is our presentation on trails. Um, the two trails that we really worked on this year, I kind of glossed over it, was the Roy's Redwood Preserve, which was those first few photos. And then earlier this summer, because we were able to work in the uh, Terra Linda Ridge area, we were working on the Eagle Rock Trail, which is where those first steel bridges went in. Um, we got two of those in this spring, and then we moved yeah. over to Roy's and got that project started. Uh, got our nature trail roughed in for the year, so we can put the bridge across that next fall. Uh, we're only working out in Roy's between August and whenever Mother Nature tells us to stop, uh, usually mid-October uh, because of owl nesting season. So we'll go back to working at the Terra Linda Eagle Rock project through this winter um, because we don't have any special status species there. So we'll continue on with that this spring. Also, while we were at Roy's, half the crew split off and went to Cary Camp because two of those bridges on the Cary Camp Trail in Cascade Canyon were literally collapsing into the creek um, over the past few years. So we got the first of those two bridges replaced this year also. Um, so it was a big year for us for bridge replacements. We've got three bridges out of the way. I think we have four more to do next year and then a few more to do next year after that. So we have a lot of these structures down the pipeline which Mejere is really helping support. David, uh, any uh, comments? I just wanted to comment that um, the sustainability feature of your projects I think is a really strong suit and that may be something you want to play up or, or when you're talking to um, media or the public about these projects, um, I think that could really you know, um, resonate with them. Andrew? Yeah, I, I appreciated the, the story that you told. Um, illuminates the importance of the work uh, and I also just really appreciate this being my first meeting that uh, we're not taking the laundry list approach and we're taking a deep dive on things this has been really valuable thank you well done to you and your team Michael well I just uh, kudos to staff excellent presentation thank you yes I'm very impressed with the uh, having been on site at that tour very impressed with the craftsmanship that was accomplished. And you, you could just see, you know, the love that was done uh, by the staff to, to uh, do those construction projects and they're just really beautiful. So they are works of art. And, uh, and all the work on the trails, uh, you know, that's, that's hard work, as you said, and definitely difficult work, but it's, uh, it comes out really beautifully and uh, you know people just think it's naturally there for some reason <laughs> but I guess that's that's what you want 
Um, and it's nice to see uh, those two major trail projects coming along. And I, I really, uh, Eagle Rock and uh, Roy's Redwood, just uh, great places. So uh, we all look forward to uh, getting out there and then maybe next spring and checking it out again. I'm sure we'll take another field trip out to check out uh, maybe both those projects. Yeah. I, I just had one quick follow-up. Go ahead. Do you ever do any work on what we call the inf you know, inf more informal trails, which are really the footpaths? And I re remember one, you know, up off on, on Mount Tam, you know, out to the um, Sunrise uh, Trail and things like that, which are really not as engineered as yours. And I just wondered if your trail crew ever does anything with the more informal uh, trail systems. Um, all winter long, we actually hire a CCMB. Uh, crew, um, they just started all winter long. We do all of our foot trails. Oh, okay. Um, during the summer, it's usually our equipment time of the year um, for that part. But even those, I mean, we put a lot of effort into hardening those and making them more long-term sustainable. We we have that luxury, unlike how Max and I grew up working in backcountry, where you don't have access to things. We're really kind of front country here, so we're never that far away. So we can import materials and fix things up a lot more structured-wise that way. But all winter long, we hire the CCMB trail crew. Um, it's a five-person crew that we bring on, and they do a lot of the trail pruning and then all of that handwork. So like up at Indian Tree Preserve, where we have a lot of equestrians, we put a ton of work up there to reduce the amount of sediment that comes off of those trails and erosion. Uh, there's plenty of other single track trails that haven't been upgraded to multi-use trails and most of our summer projects are in that multi-use lane thank you what was dcmp <laughs> i didn't understand conservation that. corps of north oh, oh okay okay well thank you so much and uh we'll be moving on to the next David. item which is sure. the uh, wildflower so Dose. pat before you do you just have to call for public comment i'm sorry what uh you just need to call for public comment Oh, I'm sorry. Is there any public comment? I don't see public here, actually. <laughs> so I was skipping over that, but you're absolutely right. We need to always call for public comments. Okay, uh, Wildflower uh, Docent Program. Yeah, so thank you. I want to invite uh, Amanda Michelanis here, who's um, leads. She's our Ring Mountain steward, the person who is the most familiar with Ring Mountain probably of anybody in the world at this point, and which is really cool. It's something special about Ring Mountain is that we have Amanda who works so closely with it. And so she's going to talk a little bit about this docent program. Um, but I was lucky enough to go on a hike this spring when the wildflowers are blooming with Amanda and uh, Shannon, who's our naturalist, and it's amazing. I really recommend if you get a chance to go on uh, go out there when the wildflowers are blooming. It is a pretty special, cool place. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, I feel incredibly fortunate to work for Ring County um, Open Space and also to work at Ring Mountain. And this was the year to start wildflower docent season because it was phenomenal wildflowers. And we're looking forward to another wet winter. So come out in spring and join us in the wildflowers. Um, I want to give a little background on Ring Mountain in case it's been a little while since you've thought about it. So this is our preserve map, um, and you'll see highlighted in yellow, there's Ring Mountain down the Tiburon Peninsula. 
Um, it's about 375 acres of exposed hilltops. And I like to say Ring Mountain's really like nowhere else. Um, so this is a picture looking north from the Phyllis Elman Trail. Um, it's unique for a lot of reasons, but I could kind of boil it down to a few. One is it has serpentine geology. Um, so serpentine rocks weather into serpentine soils, and those soils are super low in nutrients, high in heavy metals, which make it a really hard place for most plants to survive. But we get some really cool ecosystems and oddball plants in those areas, and that's one of the um, dominant soil types at Ring Mountain. We also have intact native grasslands. Um, this is grasslands that haven't been heavily developed or invaded by invasives. Um, also super rare, so both serpentine and these intact native grasslands cover less than 1% in California. So we have a little fraction of special down at Ring Mountain. We also have geographic isolation. So it's essentially almost an island. It's, a, it's on the peninsula, so it's surrounded by water on three sides. That's given it the opportunity to have time and space, so we've had unique species evolve there. Um, it's also a biodiversity hotspot. Um, so you, there's a great little example of a butterfly, um, California ringlet on the flower. Um, but that's one of the hundreds of insect species we have at Ring Mountain, along with over 300 plant species, 45 bird species. I could keep going. Um, but we also have rare species. The most famous is the Tiburon mariposa lily. But we also have the Tiburon paintbrush, which is on um, the photo here, the little yellow flower. It's also a really culturally um, and community-valued place. Um, Ring Mountain is a part of the Coast Miwok ancestral lands, really significant place for them. Um, and as an open space, it is a place people come to connect to nature, take in the views, and get some exercise. Um, and then why I might put these all in kind of little boxes, they're all very interconnected, and we think about all these things together holistically when we manage this special place. But this place almost was developed and became homes in the 70s. Um, and so on the left here, you have Phyllis Elman. Um, this is a great snapshot um, taken at Ring Mountain. Um, and she was one of the local botanists and environmental activists that helped rally people to protect this place. Um, so she did a lot of um, mobilizing of the community and they had an excellent symbol to kind of mobilize around. So this is a picture of the Tiburon Mariposa Lily. Um, it's a close-up. It's not really this big in real life. Um, <laughs> people come looking for it and oftentimes have a hard time finding it because they're expecting a massive flower. Um, but that's kind of what makes it so special too. It's a little bit harder to find. In fact, it was only botanically described in the 1970s. Um, so this became a symbol for Ring Mountain and everything you know, that's special and unique about it. Um, so this local effort really um, was important in getting the Nature Conservancy on board. So the Nature Conservancy stepped in between 1981 and 1984, purchased the property in a couple transactions. Um, and for the Nature Conservancy, it was a really important um, place because they recognized its natural and cultural significance. Um, they also thought it was a, a wonderful learning, a place of education to come and see a natural grassland. Um, and in 19, I think it was 1995 to 1996, we received the land. And 
We continue to allow the traditions. We still have um, Shannon Burke leading those wonderful spring uh, wildflower hikes at Spring Mountain, which I highly recommend. Um, Greg Reza, our volunteer coordinator, also hosts drop-in volunteer days at the preserve. But we want to kind of bring extra awareness to the preserve's features this year. Um, so we took inspiration from our docent programs, particularly the Foothill Yellow-Legged Frog docent program was inspiration for our wildflower docent program. Uh, similar to frogs in their habitat, um, wildflower habitat and their displays are sensitive to human impacts. So why they might be perfectly equipped to handle hot summers, uh, wet springs, they're not resilient to some of the recreational impacts we have, both direct and indirect. Um, so we teamed up with Marin, um, the Marin chapter of CMPS, the California Native Plant Society, um, and they helped design this program with us. So we came up with the program goal, which was to foster appreciation and stewardship of Spring Mountain's unique ecology by sharing knowledge about the wildflowers that grow there. So after we came up with our program goal, we had to dispense what that actually meant. So uh, we designed what I think is a really fun springtime volunteer program. Um, volunteers or docents get to hang out in wildflower hotspots and basically interact with the public. Um, they get to point out what different flowers might be interesting or, or blooming right then. Um, they also lead by example. So they view flowers from trails or roads um, and they also are there to educate visitors on leave no trace principles. So um, making sure you pack out your trash um, and also other kind of wildflower etiquette um, viewing techniques. So um, one of the pet peeves of, of some of the um, native plant community is that sometimes people lean down and take pictures in the flowers instead of taking pictures of the flowers. And so that's been one of the things we've noticed a big change is that people are, are seeing the things around them um, and now be able to take their pictures without accidentally squashing a little tiny wildflower in front of them. Um, docents also help collect data, so that helps inform our management on the reserve. So to prepare volunteers for um, all these wonderful interactions they're gonna have, we really had to develop a program um, to help prepare them to both talk to visitors but also a little bit on the ecology and different species at Ring Mountain. And I just remember like over 300 plant species at Ring Mountain. We didn't expect our docents to know all of them, um, but we wanted to give them a background in biodiversity, grasslands, and stewardship. And by stewardship, I mean those leaf no trace principles. Um, and we use the authority of the resource technique to talk to visitors, especially if we see um, activities might be harming um, wildflowers. And so that basically in a nutshell, is just connect with, with your community member. Talk to them about something you have in common with them, um, like the beautiful day at Ring Mountain, and discuss how they can um, help that plant and maybe adjust their activity. And so this is a little bit of a glamour shot of some of the blooms you might see at Ring Mountain, but um, we don't give our docents a script to, to say when they interact with um, visitors. Um, but instead, we leave it up to them to determine, is it best just to say hello? Is it um, a good time to engage over a specific plant? Um, and our docents are bringing a lot of outside experience to these interactions. A lot of them are docents other places. A lot of them have a 
huge amounts of knowledge on native plants um, that they've come with, and so we are really grateful their, for their experience and insight. So we had 20 docents graduate from this training, 14 were active during the flowering season, and we had over 153 volunteer hours, and it's probably actually greater than that. Um, we had some volunteers who were really excited this year, and as I said, it was like a super bloom, so um, we had a great turnout. Um, they collected information on common questions. Um, some of the most common were, what plant is this? And a lot, a lot of people walk up with their pictures on the phone. Um, a lot of the other questions were, where and how do I see the Mariposa lily? And where am I? A lot of wayfinding directions were given. Uh, docents also collected plant data. So this is a, a picture from our iNaturalist account. Um, so it's a community science tool that anyone can use. We also have um, a little bit more information, a little more data that was collected on what popular conversation topics, um, and that's to help inform future development of this program, but also if we could help provide any other um, educational opportunities um, for the public in the future. And I just wanna say a special thanks to our chapter, um, California Native Plant Society. They were really integral to creating trainings and recruiting everyone. Um, and it's been a delight to work with them last year and we're looking forward to another great season. Great. Um, just to do proper protocols, are there any uh, public comments? Okay, hearing none, we'll comments from committee members. I have a couple of questions. This is lovely. Um, and it, it says it's a pilot program, right? So would this have not been even possible without Measure A funding? Or I mean, I'd say yes. One of the cool things about Amanda's position actually is we also get support from the Nature Conservancy that's really helped give um, you know more support for Ring Mountain. But uh, in Ring Mountain as well as all of our preserves and parks, Almost all of the extra things that we've been able to do, like this program, have been made possible because of Measure A. And another question was field trips. Do we have? Do you have any partnerships with schools? Because this is amazing stuff. <laughs> um, we actually we have a lot of um, we help support a lot of groups that are coming visiting us that might already have um, educational programs. For example, Wild Care comes to us each year with a lot of school groups, and we help facilitate those visits. Um, and then occasionally, if schools and other interested groups contact us, we'll lead tours. Thank you. Any other uh, questions or comments? What month should we plan to visit this year? <laughs> That's a great question. If you're looking for blankets of wildflowers, shoot for maybe the first two weeks of April. Um, rare stuff, come mid-May, hopefully we'll have the blooming um, to brown mariposa lily. Or both. Or both. <laughs> Any other comments or questions? Was it okay? Well, excellent presentation. Uh, just uh, beautiful photographs too that reflects the uh, diversity of uh, wildflowers in, in our preserves. Thank you, Amanda. Thank you, Amanda. Really good. Okay, number ten. Uh, moving on, uh, update on the Measure A food agriculture and 
Resilient Ecosystem Grant Program. Thank you. So I will introduce Sonia, who's going to present on this. And Sonia actually came on to our team to help lead this program and is doing an amazing job. Uh, and this is something that is totally new in a lot of ways to our department with Measure A. When we went to renew the measure, we asked people what they were interested in. And one of the, the changes that the board approved and that was made in our work plan was that in the prior version of Measure A, the 20% that goes to agriculture, supporting um, sustainable agriculture, 95% of that went to grants for uh, conservation easement, ag easements on land. And when we talked to community members, they were like, that's still important, but we also want to see other components of the food and agricultural system uh, supported, and especially around equity and how equity connects with um, with the food system and, and farming and gardening. And so we we had we reduced the, the conservation easement program to fifty percent of the twenty percent and then increase the resource conservation district funding to what is it 20 percent of the 20 percent and then we created this new bucket to sort of catch all those cool ideas that we heard from people about which is 30 percent of the 20 percent that goes to sustainable ag and like honestly we just when kevin and i were talking to communities we just took notes and like wrote down all the different crazy cool interesting ideas that we heard about things that this could fund, and we brought that to the commission and to the board as we developed it and got support for this idea, and we put it into one grant program, and uh, and thankfully we have a, a big network of folks who have helped us out because it's not our area of expertise, but uh, thanks to David Lewis from the Cooperative Extension, and Stefan Parnay, who's our um, county ag commissioner, and a whole community of of People in the sustainable ag uh, network in Marin County have helped us, and Sonia is connected with that entire group, and they've really been our working group to create this program. Anyway, it's super long-winded, but I wanted to just uh, uh, appreciate Sonia for all of her work to make this uh, list of cool ideas into something that's a real program. Thanks, Max. Hi, everyone. My name is Sonia Hammonds. Um, really grateful to join the Parks team. And we're excited to be sharing an overview of this new program as well as our plans for continuing our track, rec track record of successful um, financial oversight of Measure A grant programs. Um, Max gave this big picture view, so we now have three buckets in the Parks Measure A 20% that goes towards sustainable agriculture. So everything we're discussing today is around the 30% of the 20%. Um, and we, this is the Food, Agriculture, and Resilient Ecosystems uh, grant program, Measure A FAIR. And this covers a really wide range of topics. Um, it expands the opportunities for parks and Measure A to engage around food and agriculture uh, throughout Marin. Uh, this list is an excerpt from the ordinance measure A program, um, and so this enables the program to support 
everything from carbon farming projects on agricultural working lands to urban agriculture. Um, so supporting opportunities to invest Measure A funds in the rural working lands as well as urban areas and facilitating co connections between and across our communities through our uh, food systems. And because this expands the topics of engagement for the parks team, as Max mentioned, we've been really fortunate to have active collaboration from a wide range of uh, partner organizations, including from the agriculture sector um, and also the uh, health perspective, the public health perspective around food and, and nutrition. And we're also really appreciative to Parks Commissioner Michael Diet, who's been actively involved throughout the whole process, um, contributing a lot of useful perspective. So thank you so much for that. Um, and in addition to our work group, we've done extensive outreach to networks of community-based organizations for about a year and a half now, um, doing a lot of listening, as well as collaboration with other county departments, such as the Office of Equity and Community Development Agency, as well as collaborating with other funders, such as Muni uh, Marin Community Foundation, to build on their experience, as well as to uh, identify gaps in the funding landscape so that we're leveraging these funds uh, effectively. We have also designed the program to be responsive to board direction and county policy, including around equity and using the county's newly approved race equity budget tool. Um, and this input uh, policy review as well as collaboration with the Office of Equity has uh, directly informed the program guidelines that govern the grant program. Um, so examples of ways that this uh, feedback from the work group and community and county departments has informed the program structure includes keeping the program flexible, for example, funding projects at every stage of development, whether it's early planning or design and permitting, all the way to physical implementation of uh, infrastructure projects. Um, so that was a request from the community. Uh, it's also shaped, um, from an equity perspective, our approach to matching funds. Measure A ordinance defines the program as a matching grant program. Um, at the same time, we're aware that there are other grant programs where there are requirements around the proportion of match that needs to be made, and this can be disproportionately burdensome to smaller community-based organizations that we would like to support. And so uh, we invite matching resources that can be either financial or in-kind resources, and without a specified ratio of uh, in-kind resources to the request. Um, other examples of how we've incorporated uh, community feedback around equity into the guidelines include the possibility of providing targeted funds available in advance uh, in direct alignment with uh, activities and budget defined in the grant agreement. And this is because working on a reimbursement basis can be uh, especially burdensome for small organizations who may not have the capital available to uh, cover those expenses uh, initially and then wait for uh, reimbursement. Uh, 
So we anticipate that the sales tax will generate approximately $800,000 per year invest in, this, uh, in these community projects. Because the program was in development for the first year and a half or so since the uh, re-implementation of Measure A, additional funds are available during this first round of funding. So we've accrued approximately $1.6 million that can be made available during this grant cycle. Um, depending on the extent of the proposals match to the uh, program selection criteria, we may consider awarding a portion of, of those funds and continuing to cultivate um, applications uh, for the next round. So we're going to continue working with organizations to develop their proposals um, this year and beyond. We have worked closely with County Council and the Department of Finance to discuss how the grant funds can be used to address the diverse range of community needs while also aligning with county best practices for financial management and Measure A requirements for use of these funds. So based on um, collaboration with Department of Finance, we've developed a list of unallowable costs for grant programs, and this also aligns with federal code. And we've been coaching applicants to understand these requirements well in advance of the grant award process to support grantee success, um, as well as our ability to provide strong financial oversight for use of these funds. Um, to support this coaching of applicants, we are hosting application workshops throughout this application period, which we're in the middle of right now. It launched October 10th and extends to December 8th. So in this first month, we've already hosted more than 10 workshops with almost 100 participants, and we'll be continuing that uh, process throughout the application period. We have aligned eligibility criteria for the grant funds with other Measure A and county grant programs with minor changes based on community feedback. So one example is expanding the eligibility of nonprofits from just 501c3 nonprofits to any type of federally uh, recognized nonprofit. And because individuals and private businesses are not on this eligibility list, um, and it is a source of funding to support agriculture. In order for agriculturalists to access this funding, they would partner with an eligible organization, such as a conservation-oriented nonprofit. And we've hosted events specifically around matchmaking for these kinds of partnerships. Next slide, please. Me. Um, in addition to partnerships that facilitate eligibility, there are so many other opportunities for partnerships. And we've included partnerships and collaboration as one of the selection criteria for grant awards. And the intent there is to incentivize collaboration um, and to encourage folks to work together so that the funds are used efficiently to uh, fill gaps in the funding landscape and work to get together to achieve um, common goals. And it has been 
really invigorating and exciting to see the reach of the program so far and the range of proposals that are in development, which truly cover the widest possible range of um, topic areas that are included in the Measure A definition for the program. So some examples include implementation of carbon farm plans on working lands and also incorporating food production gardens into low-income housing and so much more. So we're looking forward to continuing our outreach and um, cultivating these applications. We are um, putting systems in place to continue Parks's uh, successful track record of uh, fiscal oversight of Measure A funds. We've collaborated with Department of Finance and County Council to develop our grant guidelines, um, and we're continuing our work with uh, legal and finance to develop a strong grant agreement to govern these projects uh, that are funded by the program. And we'll also be continuing our track record of being deeply involved with grantees during the implementation of their projects. So that will provide opportunities for us to have frontline oversight throughout the entire project and supporting applicants with project implementation as well as preparing for uh, reporting cycles. And we'll work in partnership with Department of Finance to um, and grantees on the annual audits of projects. So this is our first year of our brand new program. So we have a plan and we expect to uh, adapt to reality as we work our way through that plan. Um, we're looking forward to learning a lot and adapting in future years as we learn from this experience. Um, so we're currently halfway through the application period. We're planning for a review and selection uh, review process to take place in uh, the January, February timeframe. Um, there is an opportunity for a member of the Measure A Oversight Committee to participate in the review committee. Um, so we invite that participation to be involved for um, a member to uh, have a perspective on the whole cycle and be able to speak to that um, to the committee. Um, the a review process will uh, form the basis for recommendations to the Parks and Open Space Commission. We're planning for those recommendations to be presented at the commission's March meeting. And the commission would then make their recommendations to the Board of Supervisors, which ultimately um, makes the decisions. And as we issue those first uh, grant awards, we're really looking forward to input on the process, um, as well as preparing for reporting on year one um, to all of you. And we invite you to be in touch. Um, here, my contact information is here. And um, we'd love to uh, appreciate your suggestions to support the success of this new program. Thank you, Sonia. Just a fantastic program. Um, I'm calling it uh, for any public comments. And hearing none, uh, we'll uh, proceed to committee questions and comments. And that's open to whoever would like to speak. Thank you so much. Um, I'm assuming there is an implied mandate to fund a variety of projects, but where are we, we find or my, the criteria um, for the grant program? 
Yeah, the um, selection criteria are in the grant program guidelines, uh, which you know is twenty-page document that covers all of the uh, regulations. So we can we can provide that to you. Um, it's also in the Board of Supervisors uh, agenda packet from October tenth uh, when it was presented to them as well. Yes, Andrew. Yes. Um, Thank you, this is really informative. I'm curious if you could speak to how, or if, if and how, the race equity budget tool um, helped shape the qualifications for the program. Yeah, thank you. So um, in a range of ways, uh, ranging from um, thinking about how we do outreach for the program, thinking about who parks as traditional partners and how we can expand um, our outreach specific to um, geographic areas as well as uh, topic areas that address a, the broad range of topics. Um, it's affecting how we uh, invite use of data in the uh, application process. So the terminology that we're using uh, that relates to the race equity budget tool is priority communities. And to explain that a bit more, what we mean is communities that we see as priorities for investment to address um, inequities throughout Marin. And we're defining this really broadly. In fact, we're not defining it at all. We're inviting applicants to define how their project addresses disparities in Marin County. And we leave that open to um, any kind of disparity, so and we've prov provided a long list of possible data sources as examples. So this could relate to race, health outcomes, income, student poverty, uh, environmental conditions. Given the range of topics this addresses, there are just so many factors. We've also developed uh, in partnership with uh, the county's mapping team and Office of Equity a resource of a map that provides, integrates some of these data sources. So it's not a map of uh, who's eligible and who is not, um, because all are eligible to apply. But it puts some data sources together that are um, relevant to food security because we don't have data specifically around food security at the sub-county level. Um, so in short, the approach to priority communities where we're, uh, the race equity budget tool specifically encourages use of data to be able to track um, how investments are reaching their goals and improving over time. And so we'll be inviting uh, data from applicants to help us track that over time. Thank you. That's uh, my follow-up question would be, how are you defining the priority communities? But now I'm hearing you saying we're creating an intentional space to be educated to, for the communities and stakeholders to tell us how they're responding. Exactly. We um, don't want to tell the community what is uh, an important disparity and what is not. And one of the intents, one of the benefits of this local source of funding is to be able to fill gaps in the funding landscape. And so. When we look to existing definitions, so let's take, for example, the California Department of Food and Agriculture grant programs, and they use different definitions for different programs, using different maps, using diff different metrics, and certain projects that could be great fall through the gaps. So you know, one example could be we have a school in Marin County that is geographically located in one of the wealthiest parts of the county. So it's never going to show up on a map as being in need. But it also has the highest rate of student poverty in the entire county. 
um, because the students are coming from someplace else. So that's an example where we're hoping that the flexibility of a local pro program can allow for reach of uh, what might otherwise be a, a gap or falling through the cracks. Okay. Innovative. Having worked with the uh, group uh, over time, I do congratulate you on really pulling this together very nicely. And just wondered if you could let us know how does it look like, uh, how does the pipeline look like? You've had some outreach, you've had some surveys, and I know with HEAL, you know, we had actually sort of matched, everyone got funded who asked, and we were always hoping that we'd have more applicants so we'd get some choices. How is the pipeline looking? Yeah, the pipeline is looking um, diverse and innovative and really um, helping to uh, contribute to our goals of being able to fund projects in a range of geographic areas and topic areas. So the level of interest and those who are working on their applications and projects is really voluminous. Um, there, it can be a challenge for some of the small community-based organizations that we're seeking to support to pull everything together for an application. So there are a lot of potential projects that are in progress. It's hard to say at this point how many of those will make it to the finish line for this application period, um, but a lot of partnerships and great discussions are um, starting to support for this application process as well as for future years. Um, but it's been really interesting to see the, the range of topics uh, coming through. Thank uh, you. I, I would just encourage you, as you've heard me before, to make it easier for the smaller projects. Thank you. Um, it, this is just how this whole program evolves is really interesting for people, you know, out of concern about, you know, the agricultural portion and, know how that was addressing all the issues that were you know, becoming more relevant uh, in the last few years and I think this uh, program's unique uh, kind of fascinating and just how this thing plays out is going to be really interesting I also think it's uniquely set up for additional recognition some of the statewide organization organizations maybe county organizations uh, even the Bay Area uh, together, Bay Area together organization, all these things I think, uh, I don't think there is another program being done like this that I'm really cognizant of, but I think uh, maybe after we get through our first round, we can put a package together and make presentations to some of these organizations for recognition and awards, because I, I think uh, the more people are cognizant of it, aware of it, the more this program could be duplicated in other areas. So you're in a great leadership position and you're a pioneer, actually. <laughs> so um, uh, we're very proud of uh, the work being accomplished here. Okay, without any other, and, and also if anyone would like to uh, sit on her committee, Sonia, please uh, feel free to contact her. I believe that's correct. Okay, moving on to the next item, we're just, it's just basically uh, everybody's to be notified that we're scheduled for February the 8th next year at 2 p.m. And if I could just add, if I could just add. Same plane, same right. station. Right, and if I could just add that, you know, the, the, the purpose and intention of this committee is really to look at 
expenditures to make sure that it's in compliance with the, the ordinance. Right. And <clears throat> what we've done, and just more for edification for committee members, Tom and, and Ward, as your first meeting, um, in the, at, our spring, at our spring meeting or the February meeting, we will be focused on compli a compliance audit by our third party um, auditor, as well as our internal sub-recipient audits. So that is our Department of Finance will be looking at um, audits of those that are receiving grant funds from our, through our community grant program. Now this new FAIR grant program is something that we'll be able, that are, that we'll be having to, uh, to look at as far as a compliance audit, as well as um, uh, the auditing of our, the overall general compliance and then our, the cities and towns and special districts that get a percentage of the, that 15% that passes through to the cities and towns. Um, they're also audited by our Department of Finance. So we'll be looking at those um, more specifically at our February meeting. So this is kind of the, the frills and the get to see the great work that Measure A is funding. And then in the, at that February meeting, we'll be looking at the, really at the financials. So. Great. So thank you all, I really appreciate it. Good, and then without further comment, uh, we'll bring the meeting to close. And thank you staff for all the great work. Our chair pro tem did an excellent job. <laughs> like a pro. I... <laughs> nice to see you. You too, both of you. Nice to meet you.